Hello and welcome to another episode of the Chris Rawl Show. What an amazing time to be alive. Week one of college football has come and gone. We are springboarding into this season that I know is going to be so incredible. The NFL starts on Thursday. The first full slate is Sunday. All the football that we can possibly consume will be right at our fingertips. Again, what an incredible time to be alive. As a reminder, I have a newsletter. I will be writing about football as much as I possibly can. It comes out every Wednesday. You can sign up for that newsletter. It is free and easy. You go to chrisrawl.com. You hit on the subscribe button. You put your email address and bam, we're ready to go. So I have a lot to talk about today. Uh, this is not going to be your traditional recap show where I go, this person played good and you got to look out for this person. You know, this show kind of dives into stranger places and that's what today is going to be about. Week one of the college football season. Let's go. I have read this stanza before from Liesl Mueller, but I think it is appropriate to start today's show and indeed the entire football season with it again. It comes from a poem that she wrote called Alive Together. That poem is within a collection also called Alive Together, which won the Pulitzer Prize for very good reason. This is what it says. The odds against us are endless. Our chances of being alive together, statistically non-existent. Still, we have made it. Alive in a time when rationalists in square hats and hatless Jehovah's Witnesses agree it is almost over. Freaking love that stanza. Freaking love that poet, as you know. Um... And I think it's a really good place to start because it's about life and love and mortality. And for me, college football, which all those things are deeply intertwined. I'm always awestruck by this home when I read it and I think about all the people in my life and the improbability of each connection that I have, whether it's been a friend or a romantic partner or family or anything. When I go down the list and I go, this person's very meaningful or this person was very meaningful. How did this occur? And I go, that was just a chance random. I met this person at a tech event and it turned into this or I met this person on the golf course and it turned into this or I met this person in the grocery store and it turned into this. Just the sheer improbability of a being alive at the same time on this earth that has billions of people on it and then somehow being in the same place at the same time and then suddenly bam. I'm sitting there looking back 10 years and going, oh, this has turned into one of the most important things in my life. That's really, really awe-inducing to think about it in those terms, as this poem does. Now, as I read it, I read between the lines because it's a poem, and I am also awestruck when I think about the improbability of college football being a huge part of my life as well, because it's really strange to look back on and reflect upon. My parents do not care about sports at all. My older brother is a chemist. He does not care about football or sports at all. Uh, the three siblings below me who I grew up with, they were my sisters. They, all three of them, they do not care about football or sports at all. Nobody in my family cared about sports until way down the road, my two youngest brothers, who were separated from me by a lot of years, and I obviously didn't have them around. The game that I remember watching... It was the final game of the 1993 season. Florida State played Nebraska as the national championship game. And that was the, the very first game that I actually have recollections of. And strangely enough, I watched this game at my aunt and uncle's house. 
who are not sports fans, who are not football fans. We're over there for a New Year's party. Uh, their kids are not sports fans. They are not football fans. And for whatever reason, I actually thinking about it in retrospect, it's insane that this game was on because I can't think of one adult that was there or a child that would want to be watching Nebraska play Florida State in the Orange Bowl for the national championship. And that was the game that I'm watching and I just, oh, this is pretty cool. And it not only kicked off a lifelong obsession with college football, but a lifelong very sad obsession with Nebraska football, which has beaten me down into the wounded dog that I am in present day. But it's insane to look back at that and go, oh, how did that even occur? Just that moment. How did all those events conspire to put me in that place at that time? And I'm watching Nebraska, Florida State, and it somehow injects this adrenaline rush into my body. And I go, well, this is kind of cool. Maybe I'll check back in next season. You know, I'm seven years old. And then the next year, and bubbles and grows a little and then so on and so forth and so on and so forth. Despite the fact that, again, there's nobody in my life pushing me towards this. There was no connection with uh, my dad or my brother or, or the kind of stuff that you hear about within sports fandom where, oh, I had this really uh, intense connection with this person and that's how I got into the sport. It wasn't that. It was just a thing that occurred. You know, think about it in those chance terms. When we go back to life, just, oh, I, I passed this person at a tech event and they were eating a sandwich and started talking and it turned into this really meaningful thing in my life. That's crazy, right? That's really cool. Uh, the still we have made it line. I love it. Because it takes into account all those incredible statistical calculations and just distills it into a line of, yeah, and despite all that, here we are, you know. Live in a time when rationalists and square hats and hatless Jehovah's Witnesses agree it is almost over. That's cool, right? Now, when we extend this out a little further and kind of segue into what I want to talk about today, just the, the sheer improbability of things occurring within week one of the college football season, which was freaking amazing and intense and so cool and everything that you want in a week one season opener for college football. I am also struck by the improbability of everything that occurs in college football games. I think about it when I'm awake. I literally dream it in my sleep. I, I promise you this is not an exaggeration. I dreamt about it last night. Just these margin things that I think about, just how bets are decided, how outright wins are decided, all of the minutia that goes into a football game and what comes out the other side. <laughs> you know, on the media side, I freak out because I think it's talked about in incredible terms that are not matching up with what I watch where I go. This is the same as Lizel Mueller's poem, the sheer improbability of everything that goes into a game. It's insanity. It actually is insanity. And if you engage with it in a logical manner, it just doesn't make sense sometimes. Now, I watched everything this weekend. I promise you I watched as much. I have four televisions. I had a laptop and I had a tablet. Every screen that I could possibly have tuned into college football, it was. So everything I could watch, I watched. And rather than doing kind of the deep dive recap that you're going to get on any other show, I, there's a lot of good recap shows out there that I listen to. I encourage you to listen to today. I want to do what I really like doing on the show rather than the deep dive analysis. I want to pluck out a few moments from a few games that illustrate this statistical improbability that illustrate how important the margins are in football. The thing that I'm always talking about, how important the margins are in life. You know, if you want to zoom back out, 
A chance meeting with somebody turns into a lifelong relationship, just like a chance bounce of a football can swing an entire season. It's the same concept. I think we understand it really well in life because we live. (laughs) And if you ever pause and think about all of the relationships in your life or just the state of your life, you know, what job you have or or what the things are you do, the hobbies, the, the things that inspire you and make you feel alive. You trace those back to the original point. You go, oh, yeah, that is pretty weird and wild and improbable. Football is that times 10 almost. You all know because you listen to the show that the margins consume me in a way that very few things can. Because I love football. I love gambling on football. I emotionally invest myself in these games. And then sometimes I just go, wow, what? There is no rhyme or reason to what occurs. You know, college football is back and that is incredible. And it also means that deep dive examinations of the margins are also back. I do it somewhat in the off season. When the season starts, I just, I can't help myself but talk about it. It's pretty much what every show will be in some way, shape or form for the next four months. Cause I'll watch a ton of college football and NFL. And at the end of every weekend, I'll go through all my bets and I'll go through who won and who lost. And I'll just be like, what, how did, how did we get here in, in some of these cases? In a lot of these cases, you know, even back in week zero, I think we're going to look back on Nebraska Northwestern, uh, Scott Frost's decision to onside kick up 11 midway through the third quarter that immediately Jump started Northwestern. They drive down, score a touchdown immediately. Nebraska's three and out. Northwestern comes down, scores a touchdown. That's the final margin, 31-28. I think we're going to look back on that, and it will be the death toll for the Scott Frost era at Nebraska. It was obviously the death toll for that game, which Nebraska seemed easily in control of and the better team, and then suddenly they did not. Just like that, just a snap of the fingers. One weird chance thing. Uh, Ill-advised coaching decision. Northwestern up back is just like, oh, okay, I'll take that. And now we have the ball at Nebraska's 40. They score a couple plays later. Suddenly it's a game, even though Nebraska had all the momentum in the world. I think we're going to look back on that and just be like, yeah, it's kind of weird that Nebraska came into the season filled with hope and Chris bet their win total over seven and a half and bet them in the Northwestern game because he's a dipshit. And at the end of the year, we just go, Maybe they were good. They had talent, but that onside kick almost could swing their entire season. There's a reasonable chance that's the case. There's a reasonable chance that Scott Frost is fired at the start of October when his buyout gets cut in half. And we just go, oh, yeah, it's weird. Maybe if he didn't onside kick, who knows? Nebraska could be three and one if they lose to Oklahoma or even four and oh, if they pull an upset. And who knows what occurs at that point? I mean, uh, a. job of the head coach, direction of the program, all these things are always on the line perpetually over and over and over and over and over and over and over. So Thursday night, last Thursday, it's kind of the true kickoff, you know. We had Penn State Purdue, we had West Virginia Pitt, which is the game I want to talk about. Because A, on the one hand, it makes me a little bit sad because I'd forgot that we hadn't had it in our life in over a decade. The backyard brawl, the steel workers versus miners as ESPN's putting it, just an incredible rivalry. It's not ever like two top five teams battling it out for a spot in the playoff or the Rose Bowl or the Orange Bowl. It's never been that, at least in my life. But it's always been 
one of the college football rivalries that you pay attention to that college football has a lot of. I live in a state, Utah, BYU, another great example. They're never playing for a national championship, but every year it would get there. And I don't have a, a dog in the race. I don't care about Utah or BYU in that sense. And every year when the Holy War would arrive, I'd be like, this is the best. This is the best. This is what college football is and can be. And realizing that a lot of that has been sucked out so much. I'm, I mean, we haven't had the backyard brawl in over a decade and a lot more rivalries. Texas, Texas A&M is a good example we haven't had because conference fracturing, realignment, that stuff. Nebraska, Oklahoma, another good example. I was just like, oh, this is a little bit of the future of the sport and I'm sad. But also this is way cool because this crowd is awesome and West Virginia Pitt turns into this incredible game because it always is because these rivalries always live up to the billing and it's back and forth and both teams are playing good and I'm freaking out because I bet West Virginia's under and I bet uh, the over in the game and I'm going, okay, no, yeah. It's just everything you want in a college football game and it comes down to it's 31-31 and again, it's been a tight, hard-fought game. It's been awesome. Pitt's played well. West Virginia's played well. You could make a case for either team winning. One of those coming down to the coin flip. We're five minutes to go. It's tied. West Virginia has the ball. JT Daniels, transfer starting quarterback. Seems like he's going to be leading him down. And he throws about a 15-yard out to his best receiver in the game, Bryce Ford Wheaton, who had a great game. He had, I, I want to say, nine catches, just under 100 yards, two touchdowns. Yes, that's correct. And He's wide open. He rolls his guy. It's a pitch and catch. If he breaks a tackle, it's going to be a 30-yarder. If he doesn't, it's going to be a 20-yarder. The main point is he's completely open. He's completely shed his man. A.T. Daniels puts it on the money. And this is what this game is decided by. <laughs> Swings the bets because it's favored by a touchdown. It swings who wins and who loses, obviously. Daniels puts it right on the money, and for whatever reason, it just bounces off his hands. A dude who had a great game, an incredible receiver. I mean, preseason all Big 12 first team pick. Just doesn't catch it, and it pops up. And Pitt runs in, and they intercept it. Now they're weaving here, weaving there. They run it all the way back. Pick six, decides the game. Seemed very, I genuinely felt bad for not just Bryce Ford Wheaton, but West Virginia in general. Because I'm like, ah. I do need you to lose for my win total bet. At the same time, I wanted you to lose in a different manner because that was really rude and cruel. And also one of those margin things that if you're on the losing side, you just throw up your hands and go, what in the hell just happened? How was this what decided this game? Our best receiver randomly deciding not to catch it and volleyball setting it to a pit defender who runs in and snatches it and runs off for 50-yard interception pick six. That's college football. <laughs> That's what decides the backyard brawl. Going back to the Holy War, one of the best rivalries in college football. I mean, if you trace the last 20 years, and again, this is a rivalry now that is not being played this year. A very sad commentary on the sport. You're throwing away the things that make it its absolute best in favor of the playoff and the extended playoff. Okay, great. That's fine. Good. Cool. This is not what the best version of your sport is, but that's a subject for another time. The Holy War, which is now not being played. You trace the last 20 years. Every game, every game, it's like this. You know, it's Johnny Harleen kneeling in the end zone after a play that takes 12 minutes. Final play regulation. You know, BYU fans love it. That's one of the greatest BYU wins in the history of the rivalry. Him kneeling in the end zone after 
scramble drill, scramble drill, scramble drill. And then suddenly he's open and he's catching, he's kneeling down. Everybody's freaking out because BYU wins on the final play regulation. That's college football. It's also the margins. The game that comes down to just, wait, what? There's one play left and it took 15 seconds to complete and it ended with Johnny Harleen scoring a touchdown and winning. Okay, cool. There you go. That's college football. Let's fast forward to Saturday. Saturday was, Saturday was everything you could ever desire. If you go back and, well, it's kind of weird to go back and listen to my last Friday show because it was about just jumping into Saturday. I actually think it would hold up shockingly well, even though now all of the games have been played because it was more of a just celebration of what the sport is in present day. And also this idea that the sport is never at its best when we're worrying about the playoff and we got this big Notre Dame, Ohio State game and this big Georgia, Oregon game. It's at its best when you just sit back and let Saturday take you wherever it is going to take you. And that was Saturday to a T. I'm not saying I'm Nostradamus because this is just what the sport is. You trust in the sport. I felt very comfortable recording that show and going, I'm the best stuff coming out of this week is not going to be Notre Dame, Ohio State and Georgia, Oregon. It's cool and I'll watch it and I'll gamble on it. But the games that really will truly embed themselves in our mind will be other games. I don't know what they are. I listed some options. Some of them came to fruition. Some of them did not. But a college football Saturday is just like, uh, here's three million games. And the cream is going to rise to the top. That could be Houston UTSA as it was. That could be one of the games I don't want to talk about. North Carolina State, East Carolina. In-state rivalry. Awesome. Bizarre, bizarre. Strange ass game that comes down to the wire. So now the margins are in play because North Carolina State somehow cannot score from the one yard line. They have two separate drives in the second half. Looks like they're going to put the game on ice and I'm worried about my East Carolina plus 13 bet and I'm going, oh, no, 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 no. And one time they fumble the goal line and East Carolina recovers. And another time they have first and goal down inside the two and they run four consecutive plays and they're stuffed and they're stuffed and they're stuffed and they're stuffed. The last one was just, it was so good. Again, I can't describe how good it feels to have this sport back in my life. East Carolina goal line stand in front of their home crowd against their in-state rival that always thinks they're better than them. And they're running the running back back 30 yards and the place is freaking out and the defense. There's 20 defenders, it seems like, and they're all running all over the field. And I'm just like, this is it. This is what the sport brings that nothing else can bring. This atmosphere, just the sheer improbability of it. it there's no mix like it. The NFL, significantly better football. But the combination of atmosphere, reasonably good football, but also just insanity because it's not the best football, there's nothing like it. So now the game's coming down to the wire and the margins are in play. And when the margins are in play, who knows what's going to happen. In this case, it boiled down to the one thing that we never really want to talk about because it's not sexy or interesting, and yet it decides a trillion gazillion games per year. Kickers! East Carolina scores and they're down one. Oh, and it makes me kind of sip to my stomach to think about it because this kicker's life is just going to be hell this week. Comes in, missed the extra point. Just a sure gimme thing, which we know extra points are never gimmies, as I will get to later on in this show for another game. And yet East Carolina, they stand, they make a stand, they get the ball back. Now they're driving. They're down 21-20. Clock's ticking. They get into field goal range, under 10 seconds. 
Now he's lined up for just over a 40-yard field goal. It's going to be a great redemption story. North Carolina State, top 15 team. Oh no, they're going to go down. East Carolina, they're going to celebrate. He comes out and he sprays it right. The game's over. North Carolina State celebrating. And East Carolina's in shock. And they're just showing crowd shot after crowd shot after crowd shot. And I'm kind of laughing and kind of feeling bad. I'm happy that I cashed my bet. And I'm just like, uh, college football's cruel. And the margins, they are even crueler. How do games come down to this? That's just, it's the question that keeps me up at night. It's the question that I dream about. Luckily, your spread bets did not come down to this. East Carolina easily cashed for those of you who were with me on that one. But this could be a springboard to an incredible season for NC State. Very rarely do they come into a season ranked in the top 15. And I think they have stuff that backs that up. I love Devin Leary. They have tailbacks who are popping in the game. Their defense is going to be awesome. And yet it could have been kind of over before it started. Quick aside, as we talk about margins and things that get lost in the shuffle and the things that we don't necessarily talk about in depth once we get to the end and you'll just go, oh, crazy, East Carolina lost and the kicker missed a couple. Okay, cool. I want to talk about timeout usage. Again, nerdy as hell, football subject. Okay, great. You know I'm a nerd. You know I'm nerdy as hell. And this will get lost in the shuffle because North Carolina State wins, but this is one of the things that I'll always point at and go, okay, this reflects on a coach, a program, player legacy, all the stuff we love talking about on ESPN and Fox and writing about and all that kind of stuff. With 57 seconds to go, East Carolina has the ball. They're down one. They're at the North Carolina State 30. They have second down. The NC State Wolfpack have two timeouts. East Carolina has one, okay? You need to follow me on this because it's important to understand everything that I just said. 57 seconds to go, East Carolina down one point, second down at the NC State 30. North Carolina State has two timeouts, East Carolina has one. So understanding all this, this is like a nice story problem that we would do back in grade school. It's just a little bit more complex and requires understanding football, which you all have. You hear this and you go, okay, you're North Carolina State. You're looking at this situation and going, we got to stop them. If we stop them on the next two downs, and they make their field goal, we need time on the clock to try and come down and kick a field goal. If they miss a field goal, that's fine because they only have one timeout. So we can take knees and they cannot stop us from ending this game, okay? That's a pretty simple answer to arrive at when you just declare the situation I described. And yet we have coaches who just, for whatever reason, I don't know if they're unwilling to engage with these simple story problems. I don't know if they freeze in the moment because much like physical pressure, You can get pressure on your brain within the course of a game or whatever the athletic event is that you're participating in. And sometimes your brain freezes in the same way your body can freeze. I get that. Yeah, we have so many examples where this can come into play. And instead, East Carolina runs two plays, both of which finish in the field of play. We're not talking incomplete passes. Talking about two runs. And somehow, North Carolina State decides to, ah, yeah, let's just not really worry about this. And it provides the opportunity for East Carolina to kick a field goal with under 10 seconds left, which if they had made, North Carolina State would have had no time on the clock to try and come back and win. What in the hell are we even talking about? Again, this will get lost because North Carolina State won because East Carolina's kicker cannot kick a field goal. But if East Carolina's kicker can kick a field goal, then we're flopping the margins. And we're talking about if you want to get nitty gritty and go legacy and all this kind of stuff, it can come down to stuff just like that. Simultaneous to this, maybe the game of the day, 
North Carolina, Appalachian State. Came down to the margins, just back and forth. Insanity. Right at the end, there's, it looks like it's going to be game over. Appalachian State is driving for what we think is the game tying touchdown. Fourth down, oh no, incomplete pass. Ref calls a hold. I was vehemently against the hold because I was betting North Carolina plus three. At the very least, it was up for debate. Ref interpretation extends the game. Okay, we know that's a margin. Their first two-point conversion for Appalachian State. They score a touchdown. There's 30 seconds to go. They're like, okay, we're down one. Let's, let's go big time. Let's go for a two-point conversion. They call the perfect play. Their receiver is wide, and I mean wide open. Nobody covers him. Chase Bryce sees it. He lofts it to where he's going to be running. And for whatever reason, the receiver freezes up and starts backpedaling and falls down. And the ball just harmlessly hits the turf. We think the game's over. We think it's going to be one of those cruel margin plays that I talk about on a show and it decided the game. And instead, we go even deeper because this game was insane. Because college football is a sport is insane and it can never help itself. And that is one of the beauties of it. They kick an onside kick. They are up there. They are down one. There's 30 seconds to go. They have one timeout. <laughs> they kick an onside kick in North Carolina's kicker, or one of the upbacks catches it. If he goes down, the game is over. He gets excited because there's green field in front of him and he starts running and now he's running back for a touchdown. And I think it's going to be the cruelest gambling moment of the entire weekend because North Carolina opened at minus three. The line swung six points throughout the course of the week all the way to North Carolina being up by plus, or North Carolina being a underdog by three points. Now he returns this kick, and they kick an extra point to go up by eight to swing literally all of the bets. So now I'm going, oh, that's just, that's so cruel. But I go, you know what's a little bit weird? And I say this in the moment, because I'm always kind of cognizant of these things. I go, the game was over if he just fell down. Now, this is a long shot, but Appalachian State has a timeout so technically, they can get into range for what I'm thinking. They can get into Hail Mary range. They're now an eight. They, they complete a Hail Mary. They can go for two, and the game will still be extended. They still have a chance is the point. It's a margin. It's a slim, slim, slim margin because there's 30 seconds to go, and they have one timeout. And then they get a kick return to the 50. They complete one pass. They complete another pass, and they're in the end zone. Two plays. Bam. Because this game featured not even one shred of defense. I don't know what was happening on either side. But these defenses, they were not interested in engaging in this game. Now, Appalachian State has scored. There's pretty much no time on the clock. There's under 10 seconds. And we're back where we started. Another two-point conversion. Chase Bryce gets tackled at the half-yard line. Game, set, match. North Carolina wins by two. It's just these, what these games come down to. It can't be talked about enough. There's great offense. I mean... Quarterback for North Carolina, Drake May, he, he was incredible in this game. He looks like a star in the making. Their offense was just, they don't have Josh Downs, their best receiver in the game, and still they're just zipping up and down the field. May was incredible for the second straight week. Granted, the week prior was against Florida A&M, but he backed it up against App State on the road. And yet this game comes down to this sequence of events. A game like Iowa-South Dakota State can come down to just, our defense made two safeties, and we won 7-3. to three. That was Iowa-South Dakota State. Think about this sport. These two games were happening simultaneously. I was watching them both in unison and I was like kind of laughing just how different the same sport could be at the same time. Iowa, the Iowa offense is the most decrepit thing I've ever watched in my life. You know, I'll include anything I've seen, not just football oriented. I've seen dead bodies 
those are less decrepit than what Brian Ferentz and Spencer Petras and that entire Iowa offense is. They go out there and I don't understand what they're doing. And they still won a game because they have a national title caliber defense and special teams. They are so freaking good in those two areas of the game. And they are so incompetent in offense that it defies comprehension. South Dakota State, one of the three best FCS teams. Awesome team. They're just slugging around and the game comes down to it's tied 3-3 and Iowa makes two safeties in the second half to win 7-3. That is this sport. <laughs> I mean, the margins that occur just uh, sometimes words fail you. And honestly, as Iowa was the game was taking place, they failed me. I didn't know how to actually comprehend and talk about this game. And now that I'm speaking about it on a show, I realize words kind of still fail me. I want to talk about one player in one game before we go. Because probably the the eye-popping performance, not from a number standpoint, but just from a game that everybody was watching and who really stood out on the field, I would say the eye-popping performance of the week was Anthony Richardson, quarterback of Florida, which was in a fantastic game. Utah, top 10 team going on the road in the swamp. Florida, you don't know what you're getting with them. Billy Napier, first year there coaching. Huge disappointment last year, but we, we know Florida always has talent. And we knew that Anthony Richardson has incredible raw tools. I mean, Dane Brugler, one of the, or the draft guru for the athletic, he's writing about him saying like, this is, this is physically the most gifted quarterback that could come out in next year's draft. However, we haven't really seen that coalesce into a quarterback. Now, some of that, I would say, if we want to talk about just random chance and, and margin stuff, that's maybe applicable to off the field things, maybe to life things. Dan Mullen coaches him last year. For whatever reason, he's enamored with Emory Jones, who's not really that good of a quarterback. We have a lot of proof of that. In Anthony Richardson, whenever he came in, he popped physically. Again, he was not a picture-perfect quarterback, but he would do certain things where you go, whoa, who is that guy? Who is this Cam Newton, Vince Young body, as everybody was comparing him to on Sunday or Saturday? And for whatever reason, Dan Mullen just didn't want to start him last year. Didn't want to start him. Didn't want to start him. So now we come to this year and we're like, I don't know what you're getting with Anthony Richardson. We don't have a lot of evidence. We, we just haven't really watched him a lot. He was sensational against Utah. He was the player of the game. He was fast. He was physical. His arm seemed like it was throwing footballs 600 miles an hour. He helps lead Utah to a three-point upset, punctuated by their defense, intercepting Cam Rising at the goal line at the end of the game. But I was kind of reflecting on just like this Anthony Richardson thing. And I'm like, this goes back to what I talk about with quarterbacks. Just how much stuff is out of their control, including like whether or not they're even playing. And suddenly you have a guy that is the talk of college football week one, who last year was not being started on his own team for reasons we didn't understand at the time. And now understand even less because he was sensational. Very strange stuff. Just how many players could potentially slip through the cracks because of the situation I just described. Coach has a vendetta against you or just for whatever reason, doesn't even have a vendetta, just whatever he's seeing in practice, he goes, well, this guy's more trustworthy or, you know, we don't want turnovers or just all of the gray beard football coach speak things that occur. Last but not least, as we talk about the margins, as we talk about college football as a sport, we talk about just the shaping trajectory of an entire season and how impactful early season games can be to that 
much less in a coach's first year. I think Florida State LSU is the perfect place to end this show on. Sunday night, Florida State's already played a game. They walloped poor Duquesne the week prior, but we don't know what that means. Mike Norvell, he's on the hot seat. We know that. Season three, Florida State has not been impressive the two prior years. They've kind of been in a state of, of <laughs> decrepitness. That's the word of the show today for uh, five plus years, dating back to the last year of Jimbo Fisher. LSU, first year under Brian Kelly. It's going to be a tone setter, or it can be a, a game that in retrospect, we look back and we knew, we knew that this is why it was not going to work out, which is always a lie. You never know. But you can trace it back to that if you want and, and pretend like that's true. This is a game that I, I watched and it was great. It was the island game and everybody was watching. It was freaky as hell. And I point out and go, only in college football, only in college football can games like this occur. Or you have that mix that I talked about. Good enough football, crazy enough football, passionate enough fans everywhere, atmosphere that's A+. And then this game, which Florida State looks like they're going to win the whole game. They look like the better team. I think they should have won easily going away. And then suddenly, Florida State has a chance to close it out. They're up seven. It's the last two minutes of the game. You know, just kick a field goal and the game's over. They're down inside the five-yard line. I have LSU minus three, and I have the over, over 51. It's 24-17 at this point. And so I'm going, ah, at, the, at the very least, maybe I can get the over to hit because Florida State needs to score here, and then LSU just try and get a score right at the end, and then I can at least cover that, and I'll lose the LSU minus three, but whatever. I'm not thinking that either that both of these bets may be in play still. Florida State decides to run a toss, which is strange because that introduces more risk maybe than it's a small risk. You should be able to a toss play. It's a toss play, but there is a, just a slight sliver of risk. And then they fumble the toss and LSU recovers at the one yard line. So now I'm like, okay, sweet. We got a competitive game again, but it's still going to be kind of improbable that this LSU offense that was not really particularly impressive going to drive 99 yards to try and type this game and yet they're driving and they're driving and they're driving and on the final play of regulation Jane Daniels Jane Daniels the transfer from Arizona State who now is the starter at LSU throws a touchdown pass so now it's 24-23 and I'm freaking out I'm going this game is amazing and this sport is amazing and this is so cool and I'm patting myself on the back because I'm such a good better and LSU minus three is now back in play and there's no way that at worst, I'm going to get a push on my total bet because they're going to kick the extra point. It's going to be 24-24. And at worst, one of the teams will just kick a field goal in overtime and the other won't. And it'll be on the 51 number and I'll get the push. And if LSU kicks the one and I'll get the push on both bets. And now I'm scot-free. I'm not going to lose any money on the game. And best case scenario, LSU scores a touchdown. And now I cover the minus three and I get the over. And now I'm really patting myself and I'm going, I knew it. I'm just a good better. And I go and tell everybody about how I had LSU minus three and the over. And then the kicker comes out with no time on the clock and he has to kick an extra point. A thing that literally I can do. I've literally done it in my life. <laughs> and he kicks a ball that's six feet off the ground. Florida State guy gets his hand up which kudos to Florida State for putting the hands up. It's a kick that literally should never be blocked. It's too close, and you can put enough loft on the ball that nobody should ever come into play. And it's blocked. Florida State comes storming out on the field, and it's 24-23, and Mike Norvell's freaking out, and Brian Kelly looks shocked, and I'm shocked, because now I go, oh, well, I just lost both bets, which, I, which if I'm being honest, I definitely deserve to lose. But 
whoa, this is just, this is another reminder of the thing that I'm always talking about. First and foremost, kind of the diversity of what college football provides, which is unlike anything where you can get a game like that, that has good plays, has bad plays, has insane plays. Mike Norvell's now sitting there going, all right, sweet, we're 2-0. Trending upwards, Brian Kelly, we're going, oh, no, okay, maybe it might be a rough first season. It's all just based upon these things. Anything we talk about. <laughs> I mean, it's a sport that you can watch a game that is seven to three with two safeties and two field goals alongside a game that is 63 to 61 that has onside kicks being returned for touchdowns and two point conversions where people are falling down. Pick your poison, you know? The margins within this sport of football, NFL, and college football. You know, I want to pound that point home as we kick off the NFL starting this week. As the NFL joins this mix, and college football is now here, the margins that these games boil down to, it cannot be talked about enough. That is the reason why I continue to do it over and over and over and over. This is this is as interesting to me, if not more so, than like real true analysis of these games. I like getting that from other people. What I want to talk about usually extends into this realm of like, okay, cool. Like these narratives, they arise and I like talking about them. And I like, you know, uh, anyone in my life knows. I, I love talking about sports narratives, but I always want to be aware what we are actually talking about. It's the statistical improbability of stuff. You know, just uh, uh, sometimes my head spins. And I think about how these games are decided. The college football is back. It's, it's so good. NFL is here. You know, what a time to be live. I wrote it in my newsletter last week. I'll trumpet it again on this show. The odds against us are endless and still we have made it. And now it is time to bask in the glow of the best sport on planet Earth. Thank you so much for listening to The Chris Rawl Show. This podcast is produced by my very good friend, Weston Tanner. Additional reminder, I write a newsletter. You need to go and sign up for it if you have not. ChrisRawl.com, subscribe every Wednesday. It'll come out. Football's back. I'm back. Let's go. Let's go.